free to be in the presence of Jesus. To know that there are people that couldn't make it to church today because of the snow. Or maybe didn't make it to church today because it's not what they do. But you guys, you drove here in the snow. You gathered here. And you came here with intention to put your mind and attention on Jesus. And this isn't the only church in town, or is it? I think we are. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I've never been here before. There's other churches gathering. And it's so cool because in a world that's kind of going crazy, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, okay? The world's going weird. And in my opinion, maybe you have a different outlook. There are still people like you and like me, a remnant, who love God, who want to be a part of his business. Jesus said, I'm going away. And while I'm gone, I want you to do business. That's what he said. I want you to maintain the garden and maintain the harvest and, and do what I would do if I were here. And on purpose, he gave us his mantle, his spirit. He said, do it now. I'm leaving. And the disciples right then, all 12, were like, Jesus, we kind of had a meeting. We think you should stick around a little longer. We don't really want you to go. And Jesus actually said something crazy. He said, no, no it's better for you that I go. Now, at that point, I would second guess his logic. No, I'm pretty sure, Jesus, you should stay. And yet Jesus said, no, I'm going away because I'm going to give to you my Holy Spirit. And it's not just going to be with you, the disciples, but it's going to be with every single person around the world until I return. That because Jesus left and gave us his Holy Spirit, we can gather like churches here in Ashland and South Beach and Corvallis and all the churches are gathering and we're all tapped into the exact same business, building his kingdom. But if you're like me, you get distracted, you get forgetful, you sometimes don't remember your marching orders, and you have to go to a men's muster to kind of shake off the cobwebs of your spirit and realign your focus. If you're like me, you actually have to do this not just once per year at a men's muster, but once in a while throughout the day, all day long. <laughs> am, I, am, I, am I the only one? And I just forget, I'm kind of like a dog seeing squirrels, like, well, squirrel, you know, I'm like all around. There's so many shiny things in today's world. Hebrews tells us that there are sins. Those are pretty obvious to find out what we need to deal with. But Hebrews also says there's just weights. Yeah, there's stuff that just kind of pull us back, hold us down. They don't allow us to fly as high as the Lord would have us to. And it takes men's musters and it takes women's gatherings and it takes church like this and the Pulse meeting next Sunday night and all of those things to just realign ourselves. Here's the cool thing. Is that God is constantly making himself available to any single person who would knock, who would ask or seek all day, every day. And so my goal today, I have a three-hour message. <laughs> I could, I'm not going to. <laughs> my goal today is to, to talk about God, to talk much about his heart, because when we know his heart, we can then navigate our hearts. When we know his mind, we can have the mind of Christ and then make better decisions for our lives. And we can remind ourselves, oh, that's what he's doing? I should probably participate. If that's how he looks, if that's how he thinks about crying bills, if that's how he looks at Crook County, I want to do that too. And every once in a while, I, like the disciples, I get it twisted. I forget that God is all loving, that he's kind. The Bible declares that God wills that none should perish, but that all should come to an understanding and repentance. That's his heart. This will change everything. It'll change the way you go to the local stores, the way you go to work tomorrow, the way you go to school the way you do everything you do if you know God's heart. So I want to talk about Jesus today, but we're going to do it in Isaiah 55. When Matthew wrote his gospel, you ever read Matthew? Pretty good gospel. It's not bad. Not bad. Okay. He wrote his gospel. It's pretty good. But, but Mark evidently comes along and says, well, I'm going to write one too. 
I'm going to write one too. And Mark wrote his gospel. It's about half the length of Matthew's. And, you know, uh, Mark actually wrote it because Peter told it to him. And Mark, John Mark, he, he wrote that gospel. Mark's pretty good. You read Mark before? Pretty good. And then Luke comes along. He's a doctor, physician, and kind of like a historian guy. And he's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write my letter now, too. And he writes Luke. And, and Luke's pretty good, too. We've been studying the gospel of Luke in South Beach for over two years now. And then John. And then John says, well, I'm going to... I'm going to write one too. John was the very last disciple to write a gospel. If you just think about it, each gospel is accurate and true and anointed and right. They're from God for us. And that Matthew had so much to say about Jesus, he put it all down. He's like, there. They didn't have typewriters back then. But I'm sure he wrote something down, you know. And then Mark does the same. And then Luke. And then John writes his letter. Do you guys know how John ends his letter? The very last thing, the very final thing he says. It's crazy. I'm going to read it to you. So fun. Freaks me out. Freaks me out. This is how John ends the letter. He's like, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. What? Matthew gave a pretty good whack at it. Got some stuff down. Mark and Luke. John comes along. John, he's like, dude, there's so much more about Jesus. He knew him. He was his friend. He's not making this up. There was so much about God that he did in those men's lives. That not only did they take time to write their letters, which would have been an arduous process in those days or even in our day. But they went on to not just write a letter and send it off, but they went on to live lives that were completely countercultural, completely different in the Roman Empire. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all going against the grain, against the tide, because Jesus was so real. And they wanted to make sure that other people knew it. They didn't just keep it to themselves. They wrote letters and they, they lived lives and they heralded the truth. Because they saw Jesus, and you guys know this, Jesus is a representation of God in the flesh. It's like God's in heaven yelling, hey, with all the stars and all the creation. Hey, it's as if we're hard of hearing, like, la, la, la. He said, like, I'm going to send you my son then. Okay? I want, to see, I want you to see what it's like, what we see. So Jesus is God in the flesh, on display, so nobody would miss it. And isn't it crazy that there's people that miss it? At 8.30 every morning on Sunday, we gather as a, a church, kind of whoever wants to, and, and we pray for our 9 a.m. service, for our 11 a.m. service, and for our 6 p.m. service. And then in that small 8.30 prayer time, there's about 20 of us, and then we pray for the other churches in our town, because we love them. We pray that they would be blessed, filled, packed out, maxed out. And then we pray, the third thing we pray for is we pray for the unchurched. We pray for the guys and gals that don't know it yet. People that are roaming the streets, sleeping in, doing nothing with their lives into a lie and we pray for them because i know what it's like to be them you ever been them before i've been them it's not even right grammar i've been that guy yeah. i missed a service or two rebelled and if you understand god's heart he sent jesus there was so much of what jesus did that the guys who were right there with him they just it's too much it's too much it's too much we're gonna write about it then they went on to die sacrificial gruesome Heartfelt, loving deaths for this man, Jesus. 
they, they thought it not strange to endure fiery trials and difficulties. They thought it okay to be rejected by mankind. They thought it all right to deny their flesh and say, that's not what we do. I don't get to do that. I'm a, a king's kid. And they mustered themselves in being created in God's image and living on mission and with purpose. And by God's Holy Spirit. Now, we know their story. 2,000 years ago is a long time. We shouldn't know their story. Most of you who went through history in high school, you slept through it. No? You want to learn about those guys? But the whole world knows about the disciples and about Jesus and about God. The whole world knows. Whether they're turning a blind eye and a deaf ear and a stiff neck and a hard heart to him or not, the whole world knows. And there is a battle. There's a war. And the enemy's so sly how he picks you and me off, isn't he? Whether it's the sins, I've, I've got my own battle, so do you. Or the weights, the cares of this world. Jesus said that there is a Christian. It's a, a, a growth. When the seed hits the ground, it grows. It actually produces life. A Christian. But there is no fruit in that Christian's life. Because the cares of this world choke it out. And, and, and there's so many ways that the devil wants to quiet the church and extinguish your message. And as you get near to the Lord, you know, hey Jesus, what's important to you? What's going on? How did you order your days? And Jesus said, I didn't come to seek my own will. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. I'm on mission. And he would invite people. Hey, you, let's go. Hey, you, let's go. He would show up to people's houses, raid their fridge. <laughs> ask them to follow him. That's why you guys are here. It's, it's, it's an honor for me to be here. To gather with other believers. To go to the mountain, and I, I think I only knew one person really on the mountain. I, I don't think I knew anybody else. And yet we're there seeking the same goal. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity every time we have morning devotions or every time we gather to remind ourselves and redirect our focus into what God is doing. So that way we find out how to better make decisions on what we're doing. We get distracted. Like I mentioned in the prayer, a parent, a coach, a teacher. Your job is to find those that are under you and help them stay engaged. You ever been on a sports team before and your coach pulls you aside and says, Hey, that was a really good play back there. That was really good. But, and then he goes on to correct you. That's what a coach does. That's what a parent does. what a pastor does. what a teacher does. Hey, you're doing great here. Good job. But over here, I'm about to kick you off the team. Okay, that's what's going on. <laughs> and the Lord in his grace and kindness invites us to know his heart, to know where we're going, so we know exactly what to do. And again, I wish I was more spiritual. I uh, think, Corey, you were wrong in your testimony because you mistakenly compared me to Billy Graham. <laughs> not, on, not, on that, not on that spectrum. Man, gee. I get confused. I get twisted. I'm actually thankful that the Lord made me a pastor because it forces me to study God's word. I can't skip church. They notice when I skip church. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just thankful. Thank you, Lord. 
Actually, I was in my cabin this weekend. And I was just kind of like going through stuff and putting messages together, kind of freaking out a little bit. And, and I was just like, no, true story. And I was like, Lord, thank you that I get to do this. Thank you for asking me to do this. This is so legit that I get to study your word in such a way where I can hopefully possibly share it with other people. It's such a rich blessing. It's not just reserved for guys with microphones <clears throat> on stages. Okay? Each and every one of us are asked to be a witness. Jesus said, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And the witness doesn't just mean street witnessing and talking to people unilaterally. It means that you're going to be his witness. You're going to be on display everywhere you go. And the things that you do will be a witness to who God is in your life. And the things you do not do will be a witness to who God is in your life. And the way you respond in certain situations, it'll be a witness and a testimony. And your boss and your employees will look at you and they say, you know, there's something different about you. What's going on? And you can share with them. We're Christians. My mom and dad were living on a hippie farm years and years ago. My dad was a drug dealer. And, and, and they were invited to this hippie farm. And after about a week there, my dad noticed these guys were different. And he went and asked the guy, like, what, what's the deal with you guys? Man, you're, you're weird. And he said, we're, we're Christians. We're born-again Christians. We believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he died on the cross and paid for our sins and has made a place for us in heaven has changed our lives. And he asked my dad, Joe Frechette, would, would you like to invite Jesus into your heart today? And my dad said, I want to quit smoking dope. <laughs> Good old dad. <laughs> and this guy looked right at him and said, that's not what I asked you. That's not the issue. Do you want Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to change your life? My dad said, yeah, I do, I do want that. And my dad prayed. And he got saved. And he got radically delivered from drug use. Radically delivered. Mm. Took my mom a couple more weeks. Good <laughs> 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 <The> old mom. <laughs> And now my mom and dad, they live in Walport, and they, they're at South Beach Church right now. They're, they're in leadership throughout the church. They do all kinds. Of, they just, they're so powerful in our community. Their lives were changed by one person who just decided to invite hippies into their house and weirdos and druggies and just live on purpose, a witness, until finally there would be an engagement. Hey, why are you so nice and stuff? We're, we're Christians. And, and the Lord has given you the power of his Holy Spirit to do just that. You in and of yourself, you're actually not a nice person, just in case you're wondering. In and of yourself, you're not a good witness. You're selfish and sinful. Okay? But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you can take that big breath and say, Lord, use me. At home, make me a better spouse. Make me a better parent. Make me a better neighbor. At work, make me a better servant to my organization. Whatever the case is. Or, or here at the local church. This is what God wants us to do. It's, it's really so simple. I don't have any fantastic message today. <laughs> Nothing fancy. Just the truth. And yet if you really understand that this is top down. Okay. This isn't something that Rory and I derived earlier. Like hey let's, let's, let's come up with a cool message. This is top down. God loves you. And God loves people. And he loves to change lives. And he takes over This invitation is for the entire world, 
Matter of fact, now, now, now take your Bible to Isaiah 55. We don't have time to give full testimony of what happened this weekend, but there was some really prophetical things happening in the spirit with the text that the Lord had us go through, Nehemiah. Just some, some weird stuff was happening. Where it's like, whoa, that was, I didn't even know that, that was in there. How did that get in there? And how did, how did this meeting come together? Whoa. The Bible says of itself that it is alive and active. It actually, it's alive, man. This book, even as we studied the gates of Nehemiah's day, chapter 3, we see this spiritual overlay of everything we deal with here in our life. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I say that to say this. We're about to study God's word. And then you're going to go home and do something else. But tomorrow morning or later on tonight, you get a chance to open up God's word. This is where we get our direction, where we get our insight, where we get our power. I need you to hear this. Because if you don't hear it here, you're going to look for your insight, your direction, and your power elsewhere. You're going to look for it in Bitcoin. Don't do that, by the way. You're going you're to look for it in the stocks or in the weather report or in your Facebook or Instagram account. You're going to look for it in some other person. Your insight, your power, and your direction. Recently, I had a friend in California. Someone texted me and said, mutual friend, he's about to divorce his wife. Pray for him. I said, what? He's a good guy. He's got kids. He's young. And I began to pray for him. One of his good friends called him and he asked him this question. He said, hey, just a quick question. Where are you getting your truth from right now? The last couple of weeks, last couple of months. Where, where have you been getting your, your input from? And the guy in California said, honestly, nowhere. It's all right. Because <laughs> the decisions you're making are crazy. You're off the rails, bro. Hmm. And he told him, I need you to go back to church and start reading your Bible. You need to get back into the book, man. You're about to make some foolish decisions. And you don't accidentally make foolish decisions. You go to the wrong sources for your power, insight, and direction. And you get twisted. And so as we go to God's word, it realigns and redirects everything we do. And then we're like, oh yeah, I can't believe I forgot the mission. And we get back after it. So Isaiah 55, and if you know anything about Isaiah, Isaiah is 66 books in length. Some have called it the fifth gospel. It's actually broken up exactly like our Bible that has 66 books in length. There's 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are kind of warning and woe, and the last 27 chapters are grace and promise. It's actually just like the entirety of the Bible. And so in Isaiah 55, it's a message of grace and goodness and hope, and it's coming from Isaiah the prophet 800 years before Jesus. And I need you to just kind of wrap your mind around, we're talking about God today so we can know how to live our lives. And as we look at Isaiah 55, we're going to see God's heart and God's direction. That way we can adjust our plans. How many of you guys have plans and, and, and agendas going on in your life right now? Okay, you can submit your ideas and agendas to God, and it's a good way to make Him laugh. Just right off His throne, like, "Hey, God, I was thinking I was going to do this." You know, and God, it's a good way. You know, God has an agenda and a plan, and the best thing to do is, like we heard this morning, fail yourself. But what do you want to do? He is so good. His plans for you in your life are way better than your plans for you in your life. Just so you know. Can I get an amen from somebody who's experienced that? Amen. Somebody, okay. His plans. I sit here now, age 22. <laughs> well, I'm a little older than that, but, but I'm 40. And, and I, I sit here, I'm like, no way. Lord, did you, Lord, were you going to do this the whole time? Did you have this whole thing figured out with my beautiful wife of 18 years and my three kids? 
and living on the coast. Did you did you know this was going to happen the whole time? And I wish I would have, in my younger days, just been a little more relaxed and a little more pliable. And so for the next 40 years, I just want to be available. He's good. God's doing stuff. With or without us. He's going to keep going. He's going to do, he's going to be, he's going to do some amazing things in the future. And you just got to show up. And like Corey put it, if you're breathing, you got a purpose. I like to put it, if you got a pulse, you got a purpose. You got to reach under your beard and, and find it under there. <laughs> if you got that pulse, you got a purpose, man. And if you're a Christian, by the way, I was corrected a couple years ago when I said that. As, as a Christian, did you know that when you lose your pulse, okay, you still have a purpose? It's all your legacy, your investment. As a Christian, when you die, you still, your wake continues. Your wife, your kids, your husband, who you leave, you, you, as a Christian, you live on purpose. You will find that that continues when your pulse ceases. It's a, what, what the heck, man? The blessing. Let's get in the Bible. That was a 35-minute introduction. Woo. It was actually only 25 minutes. I got my clock right here. Yeah, hold myself accountable. Hold myself accountable. <laughs> Let's look at Isaiah 55. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, lest your and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear. And come to me here, and your soul shall live. Stop right there, eyes up here. And as you read this, how do you guys read verse 1? I don't know if you guys have it up there. Put verse 1 back up there. It's coming, it's coming. What kind of translation is that? (laughs) (laughs) New King James Version starts out this way. Ho! I don't know how else you say it. Hey! And if you ever just said hey in a group of people, how many people look when you yell hey? Every single person. Every single person. And this, come everyone who thirsts. The call of God, top down, is universal. It's unilateral. It's everybody. God's in heaven going, hey! In in my Bible. My Bible's super loud. (laughs) I mean, you just can't read this. And you, you don't have any money. Come by and eat. You have nothing. Come here. I want every single person here. And I need you guys and myself also to lean into the energy of the call of God to humanity. The same language could be used in John 3.16. Remember Jesus when he was talking to Nicodemus there? They had that evening discussion, you know, Nick at night, and they were having that convo. And and, and he told Nicodemus there at night, he said, you ain't going to heaven, bro. What? Nicodemus was more righteous than you and I will ever hope to be. He was like too legit to quit. And Jesus said, that doesn't matter. You can't go to heaven unless you're born again. And then he went on, John 3, 16 and 17, to say, for the, for the Lord sent his son to the world that anybody that believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And John 3, 17 says, for the son of man didn't come to condemn the world, but that through him you might be saved. The same energy, the same language from God the Father in Isaiah 55 and from Jesus in John 3 says, I, I came to save for everybody. But you got to believe in me. And I just love this energy that God puts because for me, whenever I look at humanity and society, 
I usually look at people through man's eyes. The Bible actually commands you and I to not esteem one another in human terms, but instead to look at people through God's eyes. But if you're like me, you tend to look at people and say, oh, man, you must be a believer. You must be a believer. There's no hope for you. You must really believe. You're invited. You're invited. Not freaking. And I just start to get it weird. And here God says, no, no. Time out. Read my book. Everybody is invited. Even the people that don't have any money. The people that have nothing going good for them. Yes, Luke. Especially them. If you're like me, you kind of, you, you, you're not that nice. You're not that kind. You do show partiality. And Jesus says, I don't. When Jesus was walking from Judea, I should say Galilee, down to Judea, he needed to go to Samaria. He actually didn't. Okay, they didn't have 7-Eleven there. He had no reason to go to Samaria. <laughs> but he said, I need to go there. And you guys know that's where he met the woman at the well. The Samaritan woman at the well. The Samaritan woman at the well who had five husbands and the one she was living with at the time wasn't even he needed to go there he knew her life was a wreck he said that this is the one who needs to come to the waters she's thirsty she's dying and, and the boys you guys know jesus sent his disciples there to burger king and get some food in samaria and they came back with some cheeseburgers if you've ever been to israel you know that's not true yeah. you can't have beef and cheese at the same time <laughs> Different study out of Leviticus. <laughs> and when the boys came back, they saw Jesus with this woman, a Samaritan woman, a, a floozy. And Jesus, did you, did you guys know that when Jesus was talking to her, at one point she says this, she says, hey, hey, dude, stranger, weirdo. She says, I know that the Messiah is going to show up one day. He's going to he's going to tell me everything I need to know. He's going to tell me what I need to know. And Jesus looked at her. And he said, he who speaks to you is he. Did you know that the very clearest revelation of who Jesus was, in my opinion, was to that woman? He asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, that's right. You're, you got it right. But Jesus pursued this gal on the outside looking in who was thirsty. And he made sure she had an invitation. You're welcome here. Now, the guys, the disciples, they were tripping like, whoa. The Bible says that when they showed back up in John 4, they saw him talking to her and nobody even questioned it. Like, dude, just pretend this never happened. Everybody turn your phones off. Do not record this. <laughs> Yet John wrote it down. He's like, whoa, I see it now. I didn't see it then. I was kind of a mean person. I didn't realize that God was so benevolent and kind and generous to everybody. The disciples, John was one of them, was willing to remember kill people the in Samaria. They remember they wouldn't rent him that Motel 6 and try to get a reservation there. And, and, and they came back and they said, hey, they wouldn't rent to you, Jesus, but we got an idea. We're thinking we should firebomb them. And Jesus said, are you for real? What are you guys doing? No, we're not firebombing nobody. As a matter of fact, Jesus stayed in Samaria, ministered to the entire village. And for me, this is such a gut check and a heart check and a, a soul check. Where the Lord's going it, in my life. I think God's given me certain gifts and one of them is the gift of evangelism. I really just, I love people. Mm -hmm. I love going to the jails. I, I love going to, to camps. I love, I love, oh, I just, oh, I get this, oh, yeah. 
And how much more so does the Lord just love people? He loves to share. And on purpose, though, he has said, guess what? I'm going to do it for a season. I'm going to share. And I'm going away. And I'm going to give you my spirit. And I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to Prineville. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's what it said. <laughs> <laughs> in my Bible. <clears throat> one time I was at Kohl's. <laughs> and I was standing in line. And the guy behind me was so weird. He had his hands in his pocket. I don't even think he was buying anything. I think he was just loitering, honestly. And he was going up on his toes like this. <laughs> and kind of getting near to me. I was like, dude, this guy is creeping on me. Like he wanted to talk, but I don't want to. You're here, Cole. You want to talk to nobody. <laughs> and this guy wanted to talk to me. And I was like, Phew. And finally, like, I gave him like, a little bit of attention on accident. And he like, just jumped right at me. <laughs> and what he said, he leaned forward. He said, I won the lottery. He said, I won the lottery. And at this point, I, I gave him more attention. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? That's amazing. Good to see you there. And he, and he said, I won the lottery. You know what was crazy? He said, I won it three years ago. And you could just see his life had been changed. He's one of those guys that had, I don't know how much money he didn't share. He didn't give me any of it. <laughs> I thought, what a weirdo. Just tell me you won the lottery. But it changed his life. That's all I could think about. I, I have nothing, no, and, and it reminded me of the gospel. The lottery pales in comparison to what you and I have. God's forgiven you of your sins. He's given to you hope. He's given you victory over death and sin. And we walk around sometimes with our hands in our pockets. Looking at people. And I just, I just I don't want to be okay with what I've received. And seeing so many other people impoverished and broke down and in bondage. I think it's 2 Kings 7. Where the three lepers are outside the camp of Samaria. And, and God strikes the Syrians with fear and they leave their camp. And the three lepers are like, we're going to die here or we're going to die there. Would you rather die there? Let's go die there. So they walk to the enemy's camp and they find the spoils are left there. There's nobody there. They want to the And they start to eat these ham bones and turkey bones and they're putting all these king stuff. These lepers are just having the best day of their life. Like Christmas morning at somebody else's house. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not messing. They're, they're wearing like robes and they got necklaces on and they're just, man, it's the best. Second Kings 7. Read it later before you eat. <laughs> and all of a sudden one's like, hey, 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 hey. Our brethren right now are dying. If we don't tell them what we've discovered, it's not going to go well for us. And they say it so, so perfectly. This is a day of good news. And so they go back to Samaria and they say, hey, guys, there's, and they tell the good news. And even then they come into some opposition. So people are like, we don't believe this. Would I be dressed like this if there wasn't you know, this part? Would I be having this thing on? And, and this changes everything. I'm about ready. Once we're done here, I'm going to go take a tour of the church, and we're going to get some food maybe. And then i got like a 25-hour drive home. Because <laughs> of the snow, you know. And it's like, and, and, and I'm going to see a bunch of people when I drive, and I'm going to see people tomorrow, and, and life's going to happen. And I want to have this mentality everywhere I go. That God in heaven, in Isaiah chapter 55, hey, every, hey, who, who are you talking to, Jesus? Everybody. Everybody. 1 Peter chapter 3. says, I don't want anybody to perish. 
And he says, if you don't have any money, come on, come, come buy and eat. When you go to lunch later today, sit down and ask for a menu and then tell the person, hey, by the way, I don't got no money. <laughs> <laughs> Is that gonna be a problem? <laughs> it's gonna be a problem. It's not the kingdom of heaven, unless you're eating at the kingdom of heaven, you know. Jesus says here, you don't have money, that's not a problem. He goes on in verse one, I read it to you. He says, why do you, why do you spend your money on what's not bread and your wages for what is not satisfied? Isn't that so crazy, this contrast? Hey, come here, you got anything? I got everything for you. Why are you, why are you going over there again? Why are you doing that again? It's a good question for us. It's a good question for all of humanity. Blaise Pascal said that there is a hole that is in the shape of God within every person. Okay, you can't be fit with anything else. You can put your Minecraft in there. You can put your, your thing in there, your hobby, your, your sports, your performance. You can put all that. You shove it in there. And it's a God-shaped hole that can't be satisfied. Until you finally come to that position and that realization. It's just the Lord. It's the Lord. The great theologian Mick Jagger had it right. <laughs> you can't get no satisfaction. God's asking, is it, why, why, why are you doing that again? This would help you, men and women, with your battles, your struggles, your temptations. Next time you feel like you're going to go after that thing, you fill in your own blank. Maybe it's going to satisfy me this time. It's not. Why would you do that? Don't do that. And you can find victory over those temptations, those lesser things. And you know what? No. I'm going to go after the thing that will satisfy. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to put that which will not perish. It's interesting that he did say that this is free. You have no money. Buy and eat. How do you buy something without money? I would just make it this simple. You do have to want it. You got to want it. Jesus is a gentleman. He will not press himself upon anybody. He will make himself available. He will woo you. He will impress you. He will gift you. He will convict you. But you're allowed to be, unfortunately, a rebellious athlete, a rebellious student, a rebellious employee, a rebellious son or daughter of God. You're allowed to, unfortunately. There are two portions in the scripture we talked about at the weekend retreat where Jesus is willfully walking on his way. The opposite direction of his people. And he gives the boys an opportunity. He says, hey, hey, would you come over here? Two separate times. Once in a boat, he's walking right by the boat. They're in a storm. And Jesus is like, how you guys doing? And he keeps walking. <laughs> we would love for you to join us. <laughs> and the other is in Luke 24, where Jesus is telling the road on the road to Emmaus, telling them about the scriptures. And the Bible says he walks right by the front door of their house and keeps going. And they say, oh, okay, okay, come, come, come here, come here. Just wanted you to want me. You have to want it. It's free, but you got to want it. Verse 3, he says, incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I've given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Stop right there, eyes up here. He's, he's begging you. Listen, incline your ear to me. Listen, hey, ho, everybody. He said, I'm going to give you an everlasting testimony. An everlasting covenant. And he goes on to name it. He names in this portion of scripture the everlasting covenant. He calls it 
the sure mercies of David. You guys ever studied David's life? Dude, if anybody needed mercy, it was that cat. You want to know how good God is? Like, just look at David. That's what he says. If you want to know my goodness, how low I go, how far my grace extends, look at David. I was just thinking about this last night. David was a dog who, when broken, cried out to the Lord. I don't have the time to develop David's sins. You guys know them. He lusted. He lied. He murdered. He betrayed. And when busted, he repented. That was his claim to fame. When Nathan, his friend, busted him in his sin, never a fun day, he repented. He said, ah, it's me. And the first thing Nathan said was this, whoa, you're forgiven. Then he went on to talk to him about the consequences because the shots had been fired. When God puts this story for us to study, he says, I just want you, here's my proof text, David. The way I forgave David. If I can forgive David, if I can call David, if I can use David, I can use you, I can call them, and I will accept anybody who wants me. He goes on, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Stop right there. He comes to like a conclusion. Now. He's almost like looking at his audience. He's going to pardon. He's going to give you the sure mercies of David. Anybody who doesn't have anything, come on. And it's as if everyone's like, are you for real? You're going to have that kind of pardon? You can't do that. Everybody's going to show up. <laughs> and here's what he says in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's as if he challenges their thought process. Because they're, pro- they're thinking this, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't just invite everybody. <laughs> yes, I can. Because I don't think like you do. I look at everyone as my lost kids. I got three kids. An 11-year-old boy, a 9-year-old boy, and a 7-year-old girl. Now, if I lose the boys, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do like the girl more. <laughs> I'm kind of kidding <laughs> Those are my kids Okay, They're precious in my sight All of them And God looks at humanity and says I, Did I made you in my image All the different creeds All the different colors You're made in my image And we have our pecking order And our thoughts And our creeds God says no no I don't I don't my ways are higher than yours. Your thoughts are lower than mine. In conclusion, he says, verse 10, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and they don't return there, but they water the earth, and they make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. How apropos that we... Got some snow last night. I said, yeah, I did that for you. I did that for you. Every time it rains, every time it snows, according to this passage, 
It's reiterating that God loves everyone. When the snow goes down, it's for your benefit. When the rain goes down, it's for your benefit. When my word goes out, it's to save people. It's what's going on. It's what I'm doing. Wouldn't this be so radical if after the men's muster and after you guys get a new location and after you continue, that you would wrap your mind around the gospel and you would make much of the gospel and you would remind yourself of the gospel and you would teach it to others and, and you would let the gospel surround you, the good news of salvation. That, that became what you were more and more and more driven by and famous for here in Pineville. And those guys at Crook County Calvary Chapel, Pineville, Central Oregon. <laughs> those guys at that church. Well, those guys just love everybody. They love everybody. Wouldn't that be awesome if you just made it that your 10-year goal? We just want to make much of Jesus because Jesus makes much of people. He saves people. He invites them to the banquet table. It's amazing. Why are you guys going to the jails? Why are you guys going to the detention centers? Why are you guys having youth camps? Why are you doing this stuff? Why are you raising up pastors and teachers? Why are you having home? Why do you guys do this? No, because we believe this stuff. We believe that God's called us and he's equipped us just like the rain <laughs> and the snow. They fall freely. So to his word, will not return void. He's going to do it. At South Beach Church, you know, we attract a, a, an interesting genre of people. Businessmen, fishermen, homeless men, people that aren't sure if they're men. Everybody's there. <laughs> I'm actually not even kidding. They're all there. And, and it's because that's what the table of God looks like. As he calls people, he says, hey, I notice you've been going to things that don't satisfy. I've been noticing. Why are you doing that? It's a logical question. Why? Don't do that. Instead, here's my word. It will satisfy you. It will not return void. It will actually restore your soul. And I believe I'm talking to the church, the choir. You guys know this stuff. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer. You're just kind of weighing the evidence. Maybe there's two or three people that aren't believers here. And maybe there's a, a couple hundred people that are believers. And I'd like to inspire the choir. So you guys can find yourself saying, this is what we live for. This is what we do. This is why we pray. This is why we prepare. And this is why we present ourselves. That's what we do. It's not that, not that hard. It's pretty fun. When the world is out there making up its own narrative, its own ideas, the narrative of the world gets funnier and funnier. As they're making up stories. Well, I think we should do this now, you know? Maybe, well, that didn't work. Maybe it's because we're monkeys, you know? <laughs> For real, what are you talking about? And the narrative of God's word, he says that it's just like the snow and the rain. It's doing stuff, it's not returning void. And I guess I just want to encourage this church to be encouraged that our God is benevolent, kind, and generous, and he has room at the table for people that don't yet go to church. That's why you're here. That's why this church exists. And raising up families that have that same mission. Reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What were these guys doing? They were on mission. So fun. And if you're not a Christian yet here, God brought you here today on purpose to take a place at the table. To be rescued from the stuff that will not satisfy. To change your life. To ask me later, can I get one of those Jesus is real hoodies? And I'll send you one. 
that your life would be changed. So I'm going to pray this in. I believe through the power of God's word going out as we pray that he produces fruit and maybe glory with more than us in a song.